Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. And would the U.S. have a military response if Putin does launch a chemical weapons attack? I'm not going to speak about the intelligence, but but uh, Russia would pay a severe price if they use chemicals. And with that, President Biden walks away, engages the conversation about there even announcing more. New economic- even more going on between the United States and Russia, saying there will be even more response. But do we believe him? What will that response be? Is this because Russia clearly isn't stopping, even though it seems that Vladimir Putin is losing in many, many ways? Speaking about the Russian oligarchs. So taking a further step, abandoning imports of goods from several signature sectors of the Russian economy, including seafoods, vodka, and diamonds. And we're going to continue to squeeze Putin. The G7 will seek to deny Russia the ability to borrow from leading multinational institutions, such as the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. Putin is an aggressor. He is the aggressor. And Putin must pay the price. But what does that mean if you're not even willing to allow Poland to hand over 30 MiGs that the Ukrainians could use in their own defense? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now, retired United States Army West Point graduate military analyst. You see him everywhere. Uh, remember, he started with us people. That's how it began. Uh, and, and sir, before I get into what it is that President Biden said uh, today with uh, a, what I think is a hastily put together uh, statement, uh, let's talk about what's going on with the Russian military because we hear two things happening simultaneously. First, that they are losing, that Putin is losing this war. The Ukrainians have stood up in a way that nobody expected, and the Russians were unbelievably ill-prepared. They don't have a military that can handle the first shot coming their way. And at the same time, we hear about them controlling the eastern part of Ukraine, the ability to close that off based on going up and down uh, the, the river to the east of the river. And we have this, this convoy that has now moved to the tree line outside of Kiev, and it looks like we're getting ready to see a massive assault tonight. So which one is it? Is this Russian military on the ropes, or is this Russian military just getting started? Thanks for having me back, Tony. I, I think it's Russian military on the ropes. I think more indications show that the Ukraine military is fighting them to at least a stalemate. And while they're taking a pounding um, by their artillery and some of the strategic weapons in these certain cities and built-up areas, and, and I think one of the most overused terms is the Russian playbook, you know, kind of what that means. Um, and, and right now they're reverting back to that because the blitzkrieg did not work. Um, I was surprised that it didn't in some level, but then we saw that they were not able to coordinate fires from air, land, and even and even sea. Um, you know, why haven't they moved on Odessa right now? Why? Because they don't control those areas in the south along the Black Sea that they wanted to. They still really don't control Mariupol, where they had that attack on the hospital. They're, they're having tremendous problems in Kharkiv there with, uh, in the east. And it's allowed um, the, the uh, you know the kind of the, the Russian forces have not been able to kind of link up, cross over, and and help what's really a lost effort taking in Kiev itself um, in the city. Uh, they're moving as fast as pond water. They are losing people and material at a rate that they can't sustain. 
They still have numbers on their side, no question about it, but they've created the rain military has created a meat grinder. And at that point right now, I think there's a lot of Russian soldiers that are questioning, you know, what the heck they're doing there and, and, and how this is going to end. But we're not hearing about mass levels of defection. And, and, and that's another part of this that is very bothersome. We're not hearing actually much of anything. I, a couple days ago, read uh, the stories that said that 11,000 Russian troops have been killed. And I said to myself, and I believe I said on air, if 11,000 Russian troops have been killed, that's devastation for the Russian military. That's 11, 12 days, 11,000 troops, that's insane. I could not verify the number. I cannot verify, Major Lyons, the amount of Russian soldiers dead, the amount of Ukrainian soldiers dead. The only number that comes close to verification is the over 2 million we have in refugees. Can mm-hmm. you tell us how many Russians have been killed in this thing and what percentage that is of the forces they've had in play here? Yeah, we have kind of a high, medium, low. The U.S. government is saying about 3,000. Ukraine, obviously, is a little bit higher at the, the top end. They're saying you know, nine to 10,000, and the Russians are saying 6,000 themselves. I think if the Russians are saying that number, then it's likely more than that. And we know that there's usually 3x in terms of three times the amount of casualties that they have. But you just look at the pictures that, that have come back from, from the media sources there and from you know, well, like we talked about, Tony, two weeks ago, like this whole thing's going to be on TV now. Unlike what happened in Syria with Russia and what happened in other places, this you just can't not open up the Internet and see what's happening. That that tank battle that took place yesterday where the tanks were all in a column and literally the Ukraine military plinked them off one at a time. So I got and, – and, and the numbers for the tank um, destruction alone are just staggering. We, we wouldn't tolerate losing those kind of tanks and having that kind of losses. So um, I think they're in the thousands. They're, they're definitely way more than they expected at this point. They're more than any of us would expect if we were doing this military operation ourselves. And it's, it becomes an exponential race of at some point the, they're not going to be able to sustain it. And, and, and again, Ukraine wins by not losing, by fighting this thing to a stalemate. And that's really where they are today. And without anything else that is telling me that that situation is going to change on the ground anytime soon. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, West Point graduate, military analyst, M-A-J, Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, M-A-J, Mike Lyons, on Twitter if you'd like to follow him. In, in conversations I've had with some other people, the, the, the following keeps coming back to me. And I believe this to be true, and I want you to agree or disagree and push back or, or, or mm-hmm. give any uh, thoughts that you will. The idea that Putin might lose this thing by fighting to a stalemate, as you just discussed, or might lose uh, and Toto because his military, it turns out, are the most ill-prepared group that we've ever seen. Uh, mm-hmm. If it wasn't for the nuclear arsenal, I would say let's send three battalions into Moscow and celebrate Fourth of July there. That's how easy it would be to take the Russians. They don't seem to have anything on the ball at all. That's what I'm learning from this. Their point was was that even if Putin's losing, he can't lose that he will do what is necessary to show a win. So that it is it brings up the conversation of the tactical strike, the nuclear tactical strike, all of the things, the, the chemical strike, all the things that we are scared to bloody hell about, and rightfully so, Putin cannot be seen as losing. So mm-hmm. are the, is, is that the right analysis, that even if he's losing on the ground, as you're describing it, in the end... He can't lose because he was willing to do the thing, and he may have to do the thing to win. Otherwise, how does he stay in power? How does he? How does he keep a sanity? Well, I, I don't. I see. I don't think he he wins now at this point because he, he if winning is controlling a Ukraine with twenty million 
men, which is will still be left over there, and and and, and the fact that uh, um, his army is being destroyed in place, he's not being reinforced um, and traded down. I, I don't see, I don't call that winning. Um, he's been a pry in the rest of the world. There's no question that American soft power and the world soft power is now fundamentally against him. So he's got to you know, live to survive and, and thrive in another day. He's got a population that's aging, that uh, is an economy that's crashing, and he's, he really has a, a challenge of, of, of a revolution that could take place inside. Now, I don't always bet on that like we've talked about before. But um, I think in some ways he's already lost. The question is how much of his military gets destroyed. And, and, and the other side to that, though, the dirty little secret is we actually really couldn't do much right now except from the air, except from strategic weapons. We don't have the troops on the ground in order to, to go after what, um, what, what it would take in order to you know, kind of clean up the, rem- the remnants of, of the Russian military as it's uh, pretty much scattered around Ukraine all right, right now, the army in particular. I, I find myself in a place of disagreement with you. And the place of disagreement comes from a a philosophy Mm -hmm. in that if you feel you're going to lose, you, you, you did all of this and you're going to lose and you figure, okay, I'm not going to be able to get any of the land. I'm not even going to be able to keep Luhansk and Donetsk, which keeps coming up as a conversation of maybe Mm -hmm. that's the gimme that the Ukrainians give to achieve some kind of peace. If you're Vladimir Putin, don't you burn it all down on the way out? Don't you do whatever you can to Chernobyl to cause a problem? Don't you do whatever you can to nuclear power plants to cause a problem? Isn't there something worse that happens if Putin loses? Well, it's in the boundary of Ukraine. I know that sounds cynical to say, but that's really what this whole thing is about anyway. Um, As long as this boundary remains the country of Ukraine, while it is, is, is horrific to talk about it from, again, from a straight military perspective, if that damage stays there, then kind of it is what it is. I, I, this is the reason why, we, frankly, we can't put fighter pilots there. We can't, we can't move things into it. We, we put a Patriot battery in there, for example, that will help air defense, sure, but we start firing missiles. Next thing you know, we're outside that boundary if a missile crosses over into Russia or something. That this is where he knows that what he has. And so, so we've, again, we first thought that he wasn't going to take Ukraine by destroying it, but that's really what's at stake right now. I, th- I think that's what the end game is here for him, and it still fundamentally isolates Russia, but, but maintains the boundary inside that country. Now let's talk about two things about U.S. policy, sir. First, I agree in, in, in that I, don't, I have never advocated for, nor do I advocate for, putting U.S. troops in Ukraine, nor do I advocate for a no-fly zone, because I believe that Senator Marco Rubio is correct. It is uh, putting us at war, because not only would you have to be willing to shoot down fighter jets uh, across Ukraine, you would have to take on, and you've discussed this, the surface air missiles that exist in, in Russia. You would have to engage those things. But this whole fight about Poland and sending the MiGs to Ukraine and the United Mm -hmm. States clearly not wanting this to happen. I look at this as a tremendous weakness from Joe Biden. And this is the thing that will haunt him, not only to Ukrainians, but to Europeans possibly as a whole. That here's Poland saying, look, we've got the planes, the MiGs, the MiG-29s that you're used to, Ukraine. Take them. And the United States not only isn't full-throatedly behind it, they're kind of playing against it. Why is that? 
Well, we've done a bad job of talking out loud and coming up with these ideas out loud. And we've, we've seen that maybe it's the social media world we live in, but we've kind of float things out there. Like what Blinken said initially, I, I watched the initial reports of this go down where um, literally they asked analysts right on TV as soon as they found out, hey, what do you think about this good idea? And people were creating this Lend-Lease program, and we were hearkening back to the Second World War and how we helped the Brits. But but like everything else, when you dig through it, you you get you know the, the devil's in the details. And you look at the tooth to tail, for example, that, that's great to send planes to Ukraine, but how are you going to support them? How are you going to fuel them? How are you going to get them there? They're going to cross, again, they're going to back to that border. They're going to cross a border from a NATO country into Ukraine. What does Russia now think? Russia now thinks this attack's coming from NATO. So, they're, they're, again, there's just so much complexities around this based on the situation on the ground. It's one thing to bring lethal aid through what's really a porous border between Poland, Ukraine, Romania. Ukraine, Slovakia, Ukraine, places that have um, openings where the Russians are finally figuring out that they got to close those things down. Um, but when you come from the sky, I, it just creates a different signature path that um, sends a whole completely different signal. I would argue that you allow the Poles to come to Ukraine, they fly them out, and the next thing you know, you wake up in the morning like, hey, what happened to my planes? Oh, well, I guess Tommy took them. And it's, it's like a New York street deal, and you forget all about it. I, I, I am very bothered by our inability to think outside the box uh, in, in, in these situations, because I would rather the Ukrainian people be able to handle their own no-fly zone, because I don't believe the United States should. And this brings us to the part two conversation about mm -hmm. Russia and misinformation, uh, Sun Tzu, all warfare is, is deception. And mm -hmm. now you've got Russia and China making the claim that the problem here is all these uh, bi biological research labs, and they mean biological warfare research labs, that exist in Ukraine that are run by the United States. You've got people like Jennifer Griffin over at Fox News debunking this left and right. Jim Garrity has written some very good pieces about it. Then you have people saying, whoa, 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 do these labs exist? Oh, look, there are these labs, and what are they there for? And it's a lack of trust in, in uh, American institutions. Is there anything you know about these labs and should we be paying attention to this argument from Russia and China? Because this seems, again, like deception as opposed to anything I should be worried about. I think it's a distraction. I think that you listen to the Pentagon and what they're saying, that it's a distraction. I think that there might possibly have been some experiments that took place between us and Ukraine scientists back at a certain day. But to kind of, to kind of project it that they're all there now, I do think that um, once the war started in Ukraine, that all of those locations went on a war footing, and if that was the case, anything that was a risk of falling over into the enemy was destroyed. So, so even at the most covert areas of operations, uh, people recognize that that couldn't fall into enemy hands. So, so I think if that, even if it was the case, those tents got shut down pretty quickly and those shops closed up. Um, so I don't think there's necessarily anything that the Russians could take. Um, I saw that exchange between Victoria Nuland and, and Marco Rubio again exists more or less in the in the blame world. But um, I, I, from my perspective, from what I've seen, the, the, the document I've read, they might have had some things in the past. But I'd like to think once they went on a war footing, everything was destroyed. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us. We will talk again soon. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz.